Good morning. Um, today's scripture reading is 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in the house of Sedan, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But the, that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus say the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus say the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you shall be the prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make, you a, will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will, raise you, I will raise up your offerings after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Amen. Amen. It is great to see you, Redemption Tucson. As Dave said, my name is Luke Simmons, and I'm thrilled to be with you. Uh, before we get much further, if you don't have a Bible, we want you to have a Bible today so you can track with uh, what we're doing. If you don't have one with you, that's fine. Just put your hand up. We've got some ushers that will have Bibles uh, to get to you. Just keep your hands up if you need one. If you don't have a Bible at all, man, we would love for you to have a copy of God's Word. So you can just take this home with you. You can keep it. Um, if you come back next week, you know, you don't get another new one. But, uh, but you know, just feel free to have that. That's our gift to you. We, we believe that God speaks through His Word. And so if you need that, uh, please uh, put up your hand. I want to extend, um, man, on behalf of uh, Redemption Gateway, uh, even the rest of the Redemption Church family, and on behalf of my family, happy 8th anniversary, Redemption Tucson. That is so cool. Um, yeah, man, it, it, as Dave mentioned, I was in a lot of those uh, funky meetings, and, um, and 8 years is a long time. I, I talked to somebody wise in the lobby just before this, and they said, you know, in, in a church plant, 
eight years is like dog years, right? Where every year is like seven, right? And, and I think Dave has more gray hair uh, than he did eight years ago. And, um, and Dave, you mentioned how proud you are of everybody. And I just want to tell you and Kira and your family, I'm proud of you. It, uh, yeah. it takes a great deal of courage and grit. Um, lots of things that everyone understands you get attaboys for and tons that you don't. Um, you decide to know way more about the pain in people's lives than you want to know sometimes. And yet you carry it with grace and with courage. And um, I'm really proud of you guys. So thank you. Um, I also want to say go U of A. Right? Listen, I'm an equal opportunity panderer. I'll, but I will tell you, I've got a junior in high school, and I don't want her to go to ASU, but I would, I would like her to come to U of A, so I'll tell you that. So, uh, so yeah, on behalf of my family, uh, hello. Uh, my wife, uh, Molly, uh, couldn't be here today. She's uh, doing some large group teaching in one of our kids' classes, and uh, I've got four kids, three daughters, and then a son, so it's uh, high school, middle school, elementary school, and kindergarten. Pray for us. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot going on there, um, but, uh, but yeah, there's, there's a lot. So uh, speaking of anniversaries, Molly and I, in December, we celebrated our 20th anniversary, and uh, that was exciting. Man, so much clapping. Every few minutes, we're just going to clap. Let's just, let's, up in the top. We're going to do that up there too, right? Okay. Um, so yeah, we celebrated 20 years, and, and we went, uh, you know, we'd been saving up for most of the decade before that to go on a really great trip to New York. And had lots of time to talk. And one of the things you do, any anniversary, whether it's 20 or 8 or 12 or whatever it is, is you take some time to reflect. You recalibrate as a, as a couple. Uh, if you're leading an organization, you celebrate a kind of anniversary or birthday. You, it's just a natural reflection time. You start asking, you know, are we on a good track? What's going really well? What are some of the highlights that we got to celebrate that we need to actually keep leaning into and keep building into? Is there anything that, that like, is off track? You know, wh where do we want to be headed? I hope you know this in life. Somebody called this the principle of the path, is that where you're headed is where you're headed, regardless of where you'd like to be headed. Right? Your, 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 destination, your, your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. So as a, as a married couple, we go, okay, well, what direction are we on? What direction are we headed? Are there any course corrections that we need to make? Are there any new commitments that we need to take on? Are there any old commitments that we need to reignite with some passion? And so I want to kind of just get right to it today. And on this eighth anniversary, I want to challenge you as Redemption Tucson and invite you to make five key commitments as a congregation, as a congregation as a whole, as a community, even individually. Uh, there's five key commitments that I see emerge out of these chapters. Actually, today, even though we just read from chapter 7, we're actually looking at chapters 6 and 7. So if you have one of those blue paperbacks, I think it's on page 286. But if you have your Bible, open it to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Uh, we're going to work through five key commitments that come up in chapter 6 and in chapter 7. And I realize that for some of you, this will be mostly a reminder. Uh, for, for many of you, this will not be something that's like, whoa, I've never heard that before. How did he come up with that? It's not going to feel like that. Uh, but I hope that uh, I hope it's a good reminder to go, oh, yeah, this, this is important. Stay the course. For others of you, some of these commitments will feel, I hope, like an invitation to say this is actually the blessed life that God's inviting you into 
And, and so I hope that it encourages you. We're in this series across redemption called We Want a King. And that phrase comes out of 1 Samuel chapter 8 where the people, even though God has been leading them and God has been serving as their king, they say, you know what, we're kind of tired of that. We want a king like all the other nations. We want a king that will go out before us and fight our battles. And so that's what they get. They get King Saul. Uh, Saul literally means, that name Saul means ask for. So they got what they asked for. And uh, he wasn't a very strong person in terms of his character for the Lord. And so the Lord raises up someone uh, that he chooses, uh, King David. And that's who we're looking at. And David has been, in these last number of weeks, he's been doing lots of battle. First it was with Goliath and then lots of things with the Philistines. And there was lots of tension even between he and Saul. Uh, in the chapters just before this, uh, he's still been fighting the Philistines. It seems like the, the tension has died down for just a little bit. And there's some time for him to refocus and to say, okay, what do I want my kingdom to be about? And that's what we see in chapters 6 and 7. It's this little lull of peace in the middle of what's mostly a lifetime of war for David. Where, where he tries to say, okay, here's what we're going to center this kingdom on. Here's what we're going to focus this kingdom on. So this is why I think it, it provides a great lesson for us in this sort of a moment. What's important in David's kingdom? What's important in the kingdom of God? What's important for Redemption Tucson, for redemption as a whole? That's what we're going to look at. Will you pray with me? So, Father, we invite your presence now. We invite you to speak through your word. Uh, God, thank you for the way that you are so committed to your own glory and how that then blesses us, helps us be recipients and those who experience your grace. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the title of this message today is How to Live with the God of Truth and Grace. How to Live with the God of Truth and Grace. We hear uh, Jesus described as full of grace and truth. We think, oh, that seems like a new thing. No, it's not a new thing. God, is, Jesus is, is God incarnated, God con carne, God with meat, God with a bod. So, so Jesus is showing us, here's what God is actually like. And, and it's not a new thing that God is full of grace and truth. And we're going to actually see God's truth and God's grace show up in this passage. And so here's five commitments for living with the God of truth and grace. Here's the first commitment I want to invite you to make. Is to take God's holiness seriously. To take God's holiness seriously. Seriously, if you have your Bible, chapter 6 of 2 Samuel, it says that David again gathered the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And if you're reading this, you're going, oh, whoa, here comes another big war. Nope. Actually, this time, David's gathering all these soldiers, all these people for a parade. It says in verse 2, David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. Now, uh, the ark, this can get confusing for us if you uh, aren't super familiar with this. Uh, there's Noah's ark. That's not this. Noah's ark's a big giant boat. You can see a weird replica of it if you go to Kentucky. Uh, <laughs> but that's the boat. That's Noah's ark. That's a different thing. This, is, this ark um, is a wooden chest. Indiana Jones was searching desperately for it. It's a wood chest. It was covered in gold. It contained the two tablets of stone that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. It also contained Aaron's rod, which throughout the Exodus story was this key piece of equipment that God used to do miraculous things. And it contained pieces of manna 
that strange bread that fell from heaven to nourish God's people in the wilderness. And so it was this symbol of God's presence. On it were these two cherubim, these two angels. And the idea was that God's presence would dwell in a significant way between the cherubim. And so David is, is gathering all these people, and you see that it's kind of a parade because in verse 5 it says, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals, like break out the band... The ark is coming to town. This is significant because it says in 1 Chronicles 13, 3, we did not seek the ark in the days of Saul. That tells you something. Saul was very concerned about his armor. He wasn't concerned about the presence of God. And so David says, okay, we need to... We need to get the presence of God closer to town. Now, the rules about this, and you can read all about it in different parts of the Old Testament, is that you were to carry this, this ark on poles, and the people carrying it were not to look at it and were not to touch it because it was holy, it was sacred. In the presence of God, if, if, if holiness is a serious deal. And so it's a problem that we see in verse 3 that they carried the ark of God on a new cart. They weren't carrying it really the way that God had prescribed And so it says in verse 6, And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. So get that, the the oxen carrying the cart trips. The ark, uh, Uzzah goes to grab it. Verse 7, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. Let's get the thousands of people. Let's get the parade. Let's get the music. People in the back are like, what happened? I don't know. A guy died. Was it a heart attack? No. He was trying to keep the ark from falling over whoa this is this is wild here's what it says in verse 8 and David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah and the place called is called Perez Uzzah to this day that word Perez Uzzah means the breaking out against Uzzah in other words God is so holy he said this is how I want it to be this is what I expect this is what I want you to do don't mess with it don't change it Don't do it a more convenient way. Don't do it a more efficient way. Don't do it a way that just seems right to you. I want you to do what I say. I'm the Lord. You're not. Listen to me. They don't. And there's breakout against Uzzah. Perez Uzzah. Breaking out against Uzzah. What's fascinating in David's anger of verse 8 as he describes this breaking out. This is the same language in chapter 5 verse 20 that says that the Lord has broken out against the enemies of Israel. They called that place Baal Perazim. The Lord is breaking out in a flood against his enemies. God's lethal holiness, one commentator says, levels both pagans and churchmen. God's holy. The word holy means to be set apart, to be totally other than, to be unique. My little pet peeves is when people describe something as very unique. Do you know what unique means? Unique means one of a kind. can't be very unique. It's either unique or it's very rare. <laughs> okay? The Lord is unique. He's holy. He's powerful. Now, this is hard to accept. I mean, there's part of something like, what? 
The guy was just trying to balance the thing. And it, but I want to invite you to take God's holiness seriously. I'm coaching my little kids, and um, it, my little kids uh, are playing flag football. I'm coaching especially my daughter, Mary. Can I help you? Yeah, no, sorry. Can, can we talk about it after? Failure of leadership in David? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's definitely a question. They're not carrying it the right way. Yeah. So I'm, I'm coaching my kids, and uh, a lot of times people think that if you're, if you're, like, coaching your own kids, you're easier on them. The reality is I've been in sports my whole life. Every coach I've ever met is actually harder on their kids. And we need to understand this. The Lord expects us to be holy. This is partly why, also, I think the Bible's true. I don't think we would make this story up if we were just trying to craft something that would be good for marketing. Hey, follow the Lord God. He might strike you dead. <laughs> Not a great pitch, right? We often treat God like he's Grandpa God. You know, he's got some butterscotches in his pocket. He'll slip you a 20. He used to be sharp, but there's not much there anymore. We treat God like Siri God. God, quick, I need help. Then we get on our way and we forget. We treat God like, oh, sweetie, God. That's how my mom, I've never done anything wrong in my mom's eyes. Oh, sweetie. Oh, sweetie. We don't serve a grandpa God or a Siri God or an oh, sweetie God. We serve the holy, holy, holy God. The holy one of Israel is what he's called. And we say as Redemption Church that we take God seriously but not ourselves. My question is, do we? When God says, this is the path to life, this is the path to blessing, this is what it looks like to love, this is what it looks like to be selfless, this is what it looks like to be righteous and holy. And it's not all these made-up, man-made rules about what movies you can watch and how, skirt, how long your skirt is. It's your character and your heart and your purity of mind and thought. Blessed are those, Jesus said, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I want to invite you to commit to take God's holiness seriously. All right, here's the second commitment I want to invite you to make, is to have the guts to try and to trust again. We see David's response in verse 8. He was angry. Verse 9 says he was afraid of the Lord that day, uh, you think. Right? He goes, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Right? This is how it goes. How can it come to me? And so David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. So they took it across the, this guy, this guy Obed-Edom. They're like, put it in his storage unit. Right? He's got some extra space. We can't handle this thing. They take it there. And it says that for those three months, the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it says in verse 12, and, he, and it was told to King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. Like David, hey, you were on the right track, man. You were trying to do the right thing. You were trying to focus on the presence of the Lord. You were trying to have God even nearer to you. But as our brother said, you did it the wrong way. You didn't pay attention to the details. You didn't have the leadership to arrange things in the way that you were supposed to arrange them. And so this went horribly wrong. But, but David, there's blessing on the other side of God's presence. It was David who wrote in Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so David says, you know what? Let's do this again. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David. 
with rejoicing. I just have to imagine the meeting that David called and said, all right, everybody, let's do it again. Remember those 30,000 troops? Let's get them up there. Let's get the band. Let's, and I think someone in the meeting was like, oh, David, remember how that went last time? The church that I uh, kind of grew up in in ministry was called East Valley Bible Church. It's now Redemption Gilbert. The founding pastor there was a guy named Tom Schrader. And Tom was sort of famous for every few years he would preach through a series on the doctrines of grace. These great Reformation truths about how God saves sinners. And how ultimately we're saved not because of our effort or our goodness or our choices, but because of God's sovereign grace. And he would preach this every other year. And it was kind of this well-known thing that he would do this by the time I got there. But here's the amazing thing, is the first time that Tom Schrader taught that series, the church was maybe 500, 600 people. And through the course of him teaching that series, 300 people left. And I had an aha. A few years ago in Redemption, as we were pushing into and taking stands related to God's heart for racial justice, for a, a revelation-type vision of people united on the, uh, under the throne of Jesus from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And there was some resistance in some of our churches, and there were people leaving in certain places, in certain pockets, and there were things that were tough. And one day I woke up, and it hit me, and I said, the most amazing thing about that story with Tom was that he did it a second time. It wasn't amazing that he did it seven times, eight times, nine times, however many he did it. It was amazing he did it a second time. Because I guarantee in that meeting they were like, uh, Tom, time out. You remember when half our church left because of this? We're going to do this again? But why would you do it? Because it matters. Why do you take a stand for the truth of God's saving grace? Because it matters. Why do you take a truth? Why do you take a stand for the truth of God's uh, all tribes and tongues and nations and people united under Christ? Why would you take a stand for that? Because it matters. Because it's true. Because it's in the Bible. And so David's going, this matters. Like, don't take stands over things that don't matter. Don't die on those hills. But, but David is saying, we're going to do it again. And they're going to do it differently. Look at it says in verse 13. When the, those who had bore the ark of the Lord, so now instead of putting on a cart with the donkey, they're carrying it on the poles the way they're supposed to. <laughs> and it says, when they had, uh, those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. Stop. Sacrifice an animal. Every six steps? That's a long way. Some of you maybe know the band, David Crowder Band and Passion. They're part of a label called Six Step Records. It occurred to me, oh, that's why that's called that. Every six steps. <laughs> right, just like they just sing the chorus over and over and over. Same chorus, right? <laughs> Every six step, there's a second. But, but here's what I don't want you to miss. When it comes to God's holiness, because of our sin something's going to die. The first time, it was Uzzah. The second time, it was these unblemished animals dying in the place of sinful people. But I just love that David has the courage to try again. What, what is God maybe inviting you to try again on and to trust him again on? Because that's what's going on, right? David's going, I, God, I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if you're for me. I don't know if, I don't know if this is going to work. And I want to tell you, there's some things worth 
worth doing. And I don't know what, what it is exactly for you. Some of you are parents. And you've tried to institute some family rhythms of just praying together or disciplining your kids or doing just some real basic things. And it's gotten hard and it's gotten difficult. And I want to tell you a little bit more on the other end of that. It's worth it. Try again. Some of you have decided, you know what, I want to try to start a Bible study at my work. Or I want to try to start a Bible study with my fraternity or my sorority. Or I want to try to do something to invite people to engage with God. And the first time I did it, man, nobody came. And the second time I did it, one person came once. And then they, try again. Is it worth it for people to meet Jesus? Yes, have the courage to try again. Maybe you've thought, you know what, I... This church, it seems to be rebounding from COVID. We need more communities. I saw that sign out there with all the communities. We could use more stickers up there. There's more people that need Jesus. There's more communities that need love and care. And maybe you've gone, ah, I don't know. I tried that once before. Try again. Maybe you're in a marriage and it feels like, I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it. It's worth it. Try again. Maybe you've been to counseling and it's like, man, that felt like a dud. That didn't really work. But you still have some unresolved issues in the ways you relate to people and the anxiety you're carrying and the stuff. Try again. Have the guts to try and to trust again. All right, here's a third commitment. Is we need to focus on God's approval, not what others think. Focus on God's approval, not what others think. Again, that's not revolutionary if you've been around for a while, but, but this is really hard to do. And, and the reason it's hard is because all of us really are like junior hires. Uh, there's the, the teaching pastor at Gateway with me, his name's Seth Trout, and uh, at the church he, he grew up at, there was this sweet uh, elderly lady named Dottie, and Dottie led the, the ministry for senior adults. It was called XYZ, Extra Years of Zest. That's, I mean, XYZ, we're making it pretty clear where we think we are in this story, right? Like... And Seth asked Dottie, he said, hey, what, you know, she'd been leading this ministry, and he said, what, what's the secret to leading this ministry? And she, here's what she said. She said, the secret to leading this ministry or anything else is to know this, all ministry is junior high ministry. <laughs> Some of you on staff with crew or navigators or intervarsity or whatever, it's all junior high ministry. <laughs> right? I mean, everybody's insecure. Everybody doesn't sure they're fit. Everybody is like, I don't know, I got all these hang-ups, and I got all these things, and I got all these problems, and they do. And, and how do we get over that? Well, we focus on God's approval, not what others think. The way that I see this is as the art comes in, and I don't have time to go through the entire story, uh, there's this, again, this celebrating and this parade and this dancing, and it says that uh, King David in verse 16 is leaping and dancing before the Lord, and his wife, who three times in this story is called the daughter of Saul... The daughter of Saul, the daughter of Saul, the daughter of Saul. She sees what's happening the way Saul did. She goes, David, this is ridiculous. David, you're dancing like a fool. There's even an indication here. Uh, here's what she says. It says, uh, verse 20, David returned to bless his household. Honey, isn't this an amazing day? This is incredible. No one died. <laughs> we made it. And she answers him, how the king of Israel honored himself today uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servant eyes of his servants female servants as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself apparently david's robe wasn't hiked down all the way 
Maybe some people saw more skin than they should have. The ark has arrived. After 40 years of neglect, after 40 years of who cares about God, let's just try to use him for our convenience. Now God is in, in the dwelling in this ark. He's here. He's with us. And she goes, you should be ashamed of yourself. You didn't act like a king. What do all those servants, what do all those servant girls think of you? And here's what David says. Verse 21, David said to Michael, it was before the Lord. That's what I was doing it for. I wasn't worried about them. It was before the Lord. By the way, honey, who chose me above your father and above all his house. <laughs> Things are tense in the David household. Uh, he says, I will, I will verse tw- at the end of verse 21, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. I will be abased in your eyes. But I'm not worried about what the other people are thinking. Michael here, the daughter of Saul, the daughter of Saul, the daughter of Saul, is voicing the way a godless world thinks. In a godless world, all that matters is what you can see. And man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. But man looks at the outward appearance. And so all that matters is what will people think. And I want to tell you, if you're stuck in a cycle of what will people think, it is a hall of mirrors. You ever been to a carnival? You know what a hall of mirrors is? You walk in, and in one, you're like eight feet tall and skinny. In one, you're two feet tall and 900 pounds. In each one, you look a little different. Some you're curvy, some you're wavy, some you're this, some you're that. You don't really know. You, if, if that was all you ever saw, you'd go, I don't know what I look like. If you're looking for the approval of people, it's a hall of mirrors. You'll never know. You don't know who you are. David is the voice of a Godward life. It was before the Lord. This is where this great phrase, Coram Deo, before the face of God. David's living before the face of God. I want to invite you and challenge you, Redemption Tucson. Live before the face of God. Who cares what the other moms think? Who cares what the other people down the hall of your apartment building think? Get this. Who cares what your parents think? What does God think? Focus on God's approval. Not what others think. Now, let me say this. Sometimes your parents are right. So <laughs> just got to throw that caveat in there. All right. Number four. Here's a fourth commitment. Is submit to God's revelation over your heart's intuition. Submit to God's revelation over your heart's intuition. Fascinating as we turn the page into chapter 7. It says, now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet... See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. David's going, hey, this ain't right. I got this big palace. I got this big house. I got all this amazing wealth, and and God's in a tent? Nathan said to the king, Nathan's the prophet. Here's what he says. He says, go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Let me ask you this. Should you follow your heart? There's a lot of encouragement all over the place. Follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Every great movie, follow your heart. Right? There's something like that. What do you think? Should you follow your heart? I don't, thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, I heard it over here. Here's the right answer. Maybe. Maybe. Right, maybe. Depending on what? 
is God with you? Right? That's what it says in verse, verse 3. Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Listen, if your heart has been changed and if the Lord is with you and he's given you a new, you're a new creation in Christ, he's exchanged the heart of stone and put in a new soft heart that beats for him, and you're aligned with him and you're like a Psalm 1 person that's meditating on his word and involved in his presence and avoiding sin, then whatever you do will prosper. Do what's in your heart. Go. But if you're not, you've got to know the heart's deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? So should you follow your heart? Eh, maybe. If, big if, the Lord is with you. But I love the next verse, verse 4. Look at this. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Should you follow your heart? Maybe. Should you follow the word of the Lord? Yes, every time. But that same night. I have a file. I'm trying to get the other redemption preachers to do this. I've got a file of all these incredible places in the Bible where there's a but. I want to call it the big butts of the Bible. <laughs> but they tell me that's too cheesy, so I don't know. But, but this one would make it, right? But God, who is rich in mercy, even while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. Here you go. Follow your heart, but... The word of the Lord came. Uh-oh, that trumps, that wins, that, that overcomes. Right, submit to God's revelation over your heart's intuition. If you have some intuition and you're following the Lord and you're close to him and you have this desire, I think the indication is like, yeah, tend to go for it. But if God's word comes in and says, hey, 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 no, don't do that. I know you think it's love and I know you think that marriage is just a certificate and I know that you're already maybe married in your heart. Don't follow your heart. Because God's word says that sex is for marriage between one man and one woman. You go on and on and on. Well, but I feel like I really need to save up money at this stage of life, and I just, I can't, I can't give any of it away. Like, I feel like the wise thing, you know, my heart's really telling me I need to invest in my future. Maybe. But the Lord says that you should be generous. And eager to share. Should you follow God's heart? Your heart? Maybe. Should you follow God's heart? Yes. My wife and I, we love, uh, we love Broadway shows. I did some acting when I was a kid. And so when Broadway shows come through Gamage up at ASU, that is one thing that's better. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, a lot of shows will come and go, ah, should we go, will we, won't we, do we have enough money, blah, blah, blah. But here's what, here's what I know. We've pre-decided whenever Les Miserables comes, we go. Yeah. It's incredible. We just, we go. Like, we don't think about it. We, we pre, we've just pre-decided. Here's what I want you to do. Pre-decide that when God's word says, do this, don't do this, that you listen. If it's your heart, I don't know, weigh it out. If it's God's word, Listen. All right, here's the last commitment I want to invite you to make, is to rejoice in receiving God's grace. See, the gist of what the Lord says here is, uh, hey, David, that's really cute uh, that you wanted to build me a house. Um, I've never needed one, and I don't need one now, and uh, I'm going to build you one. 
That's essentially what happens is, is the, the word of the Lord that trumps David's heart is this word that says, hey, David, I, I have not lived in a house since I called people out of Egypt, since we wandered through the desert. I'm not worried about this. This is not about what you can do for me, David. This is about what I am doing for my people and what I am going to do for you. And that is grace. Grace is opposite of works. It's opposite of merit. Merit is where we go, I can buy this. I can do this. I buy it with my time. I buy it with my money. I buy it with my purity. I buy it with my actions. I buy it with my effort. No. We know God on the basis of grace. Look at all the, the, the way God describes this. Verse 6. I brought up the people of Egypt. Verse 7. I have moved with all the people of Israel. Verse 8. I took you from the pasture. Verse 9. I have been with you. I will make for you a great name. Verse 10, I will appoint a place for my people of Israel and will plant them. Verse 11, I will give you rest from your enemies, that the Lord will make you a house. Verse 12, I will raise up your offspring after you. I will establish his kingdom. Verse 13, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David, you want to build me a house? David, I'm the builder of the house. Right? This is like when my little guy Hank, he's five. And uh, our birthdays are a couple weeks apart. So he's, he thinks about his birthday, and then he thinks about my birthday that's coming. And he'll say, Daddy, uh, I'm making a list. What do you want for your birthday? <laughs> it's really sweet, and it's really cute. And I go, well, buddy, I want a, I want a Traeger. <laughs> you know, best option. It's like 800 bucks at Costco or something. Like, I think it's out of your range, you know. <laughs> like I'm at that stage of life where everything I want is actually expensive. So, uh... I don't know what to tell you. And so, <laughs> so I said, well, you know what I'd really like, buddy, is I, uh, I'd really like the new Madden game. And he goes, okay. And so uh, he works with my wife to use my money <laughs> to buy me a Madden game. And, uh, and I open it, and I'm like, this is amazing, buddy. Will you play the first game with me? Yeah, let's do it. But the whole time, listen, we all know whose money it is. <laughs> Th that's what's going on here. David's like, God, what would you like? He's like, David, <laughs> that's so cute. Um, <laughs> it's all my money. <laughs> and David, here's the thing is my heart is so good for you that it actually, you know what? Uh, you don't buy me anything. I'm going to buy you everything. I mean, that's the promise he makes it. He says, I'm going to establish the throne of your kingdom forever. The throne, the lineage of it, it, it died in the reign of Saul. David's goes on and on and on and on forever because we get to Matthew 1 where we're told that Jesus, the Messiah, is the son of David. You ever wonder why there's all those weird genealogies at the beginning of the Gospels? That's why. To tell you that this Jesus is the king. This Jesus is the promise. This Jesus is the one who is the inheritor of this promise. And so we receive God's grace. That's who we are. We're a people of grace. We're a people of God does it. We're a people of, oh yeah, God's good. And so what we, I want to invite you into today and always is to rejoice in that. To never get tired of that. To never go, oh, ho-hum about that. To never go, oh, well, but I haven't been very good lately. It wasn't about you. Look at what David does. He marvels over God's previous grace. Verse 18, who am I, Lord God, and what is my house that you've brought me this far? God, you've been so faithful in my past. 
He marvels over God's future grace. Verse 19, and yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You've spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And he celebrates God's sovereign grace, verse 21, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you've brought about this greatness. Beware of what John Piper calls the debtor's ethic, where you think, well, God has done so much for me, I need to do so much for him. No. No, what David says in the Psalms is, what shall I do with the way the Lord has filled up this cup of salvation? I'm going to lift it up and say, more please. More, more, more. Griffin Gulledge says this, Jesus fed the 5,000 and there were 12 baskets left over. Then he called himself the bread of life. 12 baskets left over. If Jesus is saying, I'm like that, then one conclusion is that there's more grace in him than we could ever consume. Clean your plate and get second. Let's pray. So Father, thank you for grace previous grace, future grace, sovereign grace. Thank you that you are holy, holy, holy. Thank you that you are with us when we have the guts and the courage to try to trust again. God, thank you that what you think of us matters more than what anyone else thinks about us. And thank you that we don't have to wander through the dark guessing what you're like, but you reveal yourself to us. Lord, thank you for your work over these last eight years in this congregation. I pray that it would expand, that it would grow, that more and more people would meet you, and that more and more people would be sent out by you from here to be blessing to southern Arizona, to Tucson, and to the nations. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.